Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water, the podcast where we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean, and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, Our God Has Delivered Samson, we're looking at Judges chapter 13 through 16 and how the life and leadership of Samson can give us insight into who we choose to follow in our own lives and why. Let's get started. So we're closing out the series on the Judges with probably the most famous one of all, Samson. You've probably heard the stories about him before, his strength, his long hair, his relationship with a woman named Delilah. But let's dig deeper into Samson's character today and look at what takeaways we can glean from his stories as well as his shortcomings. Samson was born to a couple who were unable to carry children, as so often is the case in scripture. But an angel of the Lord appeared to them and told them that they would indeed have a son, but with the proviso that he become a Nazarite. Nazarites were individuals who took a strict vow to be in service to God, and such individuals were distinguished by ritualistic conventions such as abstaining from wine, not cutting their hair, and staying away from corpses and graves. Well, it's not super clear as to why those were the restrictions given, but we need to establish the fact right now that adhering to these guidelines was not what made them a Nazarite. It was more like an outward expression of the vow they made to God. So Samson was born and was raised a Nazarite, which means at some point he most likely made a verbal declaration of some sort himself that this was his calling. So while he was born into the vow, he also most likely made a choice to remain a Nazarite. Now, years later, Samson is a judge of Israel, the resident protector against the Philistines, but he doesn't lead the way his predecessors did. Where the previous judges we talked about, Deborah, Gideon, and even Jephthah, engaged in battle with the enemies, Samson's tactics were much more barbaric, should we say? There's no evidence that Samson was, in fact, looking out for his people. His beef with the Philistines is entirely personal. In nearly all his stories, Samson seems to be acting purely on impulse, driven by his pride, anger, and lust. The text documents one strange, troublesome story after another. Take this one, for example. Samson tears apart a lion with his bare hands one day, and sometime later, he finds its carcass swarming with bees, and so he scoops out the honey to eat it. Gross. Then he makes a riddle about this experience and challenges people to guess what he's talking about, which is recorded in Judges chapter 14, verse 14. And it says this, this is the riddle, out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. Okay, first of all, Samson, as far as riddles go, this is not a good one, but Kudos that it rhymes, I guess. This riddle is basically an inside joke for one, and he's so pleased with himself at his own cleverness. But the challenge is on, and the wager is set at 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes to the winner. What a weird way to provoke your enemy, right? 
Samson was so confident that they would not be able to answer correctly, thus pretty much giving him an excuse to pick a fight and humiliate them. And obviously, no one could make neither heads nor tails of this riddle, so they urged Samson's wife at the time, a Philistine woman, to coax the answer out of him. And she succeeds. And when the men were able to correctly explain his riddle, Samson angrily strikes down 30 men, takes their clothes and belongings, and gives them to the men who answered the riddle. All because he lost a bet about a riddle he made up. So he storms off, presumably for months, then returns one day to visit his wife, only to find out that she was given away to another man. And this is where the tension escalates between Samson and the Philistines. And then he does more crazy out-of-control things, like he sets foxes on fire and sets them loose. It's true. Read it. It's in the Bible. And yet, through all of this, he remained Israel's leader. Now, we can pause for a moment here and ask ourselves, why did God allow such a terrible leader to be a judge of Israel? The Bible even tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him each time he displayed a magnificent feat of strength. Everywhere else in the judges, the Spirit came upon a person right before they were about to win a battle. But for Samson, it's right before things like killing a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone. Now, does this mean that God endorsed Samson's behavior? I should think not. The Spirit of the Lord coming upon someone is more like an expression used to describe inexplicable things. All the previous judges, the odds had been stacked against them, and yet they miraculously conquered their enemies when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. In Samson's case, it describes his supernatural strength. Samson's interactions with the Philistines are brutal, and that's putting it mildly. But the landscape of this point in the Old Testament is very much kill or be killed. Thus, it seems Samson's leadership was the kind of leadership that was needed for the people of Israel at this time. Not to say that it was good leadership, but this is what the people wanted and responded to. God allowed Samson to have impossible strength to show that only God could have done this so that the people could turn back to God. But they don't. They're not even loyal to Samson. They're willing to turn him over to the Philistines every chance they get. And Samson? Samson himself forgets where his strength comes from. His ultimate downfall is basically a rerun of what happened with his former wife. He falls in love with a woman, Delilah, who is commissioned by the Philistines to uncover the secret to his strength. Samson gets cocky and misleads her a few times, but ultimately gives it up. In Judges chapter 16, verse 17, he tells her the truth, well, at least partially. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Samson attributed his strength to his hair and not to the God whom he had vowed to serve. And that is when his strength leaves him. He is captured by the Philistines, his head shaved, his eyes gouged out, 
and is made a mockery of in front of his enemies. His capture caused them to praise their God, saying in chapter 16, verse 23, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Now, what a sobering reminder that our enemies are praying for our failure as much as we are praying for victory. Because to the Philistines, Samson was public enemy number one. So of course they were thrilled to have captured such a menace to society. Then in this destitute hour, Samson finally prays. But it's not a prayer of contrition or repentance. He is remorseful, probably. But to the end, his pride supersedes his responsibility as Israel's protector. His prayer in chapter 16, verse 28 was, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And even though this is a selfish prayer, God grants him this request. For Samson, it was merely revenge for his humiliation, but in the grand scheme of things, one might say this was, in a way, justice being served for the years of oppression the Philistines had brought upon the Israelites. Ironically, while the enemies were celebrating Samson being delivered into their hands, they were all delivered into Samson's hands when he regained his strength as God delivered Samson out of his last hours of torture and defeat. So there are a few things we might be called to do upon examining Judges chapter 13 through 16. The first thing for me is to call out toxic leadership in our lives. Samson was hands down a toxic leader. Now, toxic leaders are generally self-serving, destructive, and dysfunctional, among other things. They are unwilling to learn or adapt as a leader. They mishandle matters. They manipulate to get what they want and rage when they don't. And Samson was all of these things. Never once in his story does it mention that Samson acted on behalf of the Israelite people. Everything he did... Every act of violence enacted was for his own ego and for his own benefit. In preparing for this episode, I've read so many articles and commentaries regarding this passage of scripture, and I was truthfully appalled to find so many that said Samson was undone by women. They say his fatal flaw was his love of women, and if only he hadn't had this weakness, he would have been able to withstand the seductions. One commentator even wrote this, Instead of painting Samson as a womanizer, it is better to see him as a man betrayed by women. Both his Philistine wife and Delilah handed Samson over to the Philistines for money, Samson should not be faulted for women betraying him any more than Joseph and John the Baptist should be faulted for women betraying them. This puts Samson in a class of godly men in scripture. People, let's not be fooled. Samson was not a victim. He knew exactly what he was doing. Especially in the case of Delilah, he had to have had a major case of deja vu when the woman he loved was trying to persuade him to reveal a secret. I mean, he had gone through it already. 
but he was a classic narcissist who thought he was too big to fail. So for all of us, we need to know, no matter the environment, when you see a toxic leader, recognize it, name it, and do something about it. The reason why these toxic leaders thrive is that everyone is too afraid to speak out and demand change. But had Samson been held to greater accountability for his actions, he may have been more effective as a judge and he may have done much more for his people. That said, the next thing I feel called to do in response to this text is to have a better understanding of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because toxic leaders in the church, especially, tend to hide behind their spiritual authority. And this is why it's so hard to contradict them. Because on the outside, they just seem more spirit-filled than I am. Therefore, they must be right. I must be wrong, and God must emplace them as my superior for a reason. And this is how cycles of spiritual abuse start and persist. But looking like you're filled with the Spirit does not necessarily make you so. For example, growing up in a Pentecostal church, one was not considered filled with the Spirit unless they spoke in tongues. But this is merely an outward display, as was Samson's strength being an outward expression of his Nazarite vow. We can't settle for the Spirit being with us. We have to allow the Spirit to manifest within us. There's a reason why the expression is to be filled with the Spirit. The work happens on the inside. Now, today's story shows us that people who are supposedly living by the Spirit can go on to do atrocious things. The Spirit enabled Samson to do wondrous things, but with the power he received, he used it to settle personal vendettas instead of using what he was given to help the people he was commissioned to lead. By contrast, what happened when the Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism? He went out to perform miracles to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to love and welcome all into the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 tells us this is precisely why the Spirit comes on anyone. 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. When Jesus read this passage in the synagogue, he confirmed that he was fulfilling the scripture in the flesh. And what's more, this same power later came upon the disciples gathered together at Pentecost, and they carried on Christ's ministry. And this is the kind of spirit-filled living we are called to. The book of Judges closes with this summary sentence in chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. At the end of 21 chapters, this, the summary is the period of time with the judges was absolute mayhem. And so it's no coincidence that the book that follows is the book of Ruth who happens to be the great-grandmother of Israel's most beloved king, David. Now, Ruth herself was a courageous and God-fearing woman 
who, through one bold decision to follow her mother-in-law Naomi to a strange land, showed one of the greatest displays of faith recorded in the Bible. So much so that not only is she an ancestor to David, but to Jesus Christ himself. You see, despite Israel's folly and unfaithfulness throughout the era of the judges, God was putting into motion increasingly more permanent solutions for the deliverance of Israel, finally sending his own son to deliver us all. So I challenge you to pay attention to who you follow, whether it's a boss, a pastor, a significant other, a friend, or even a YouTube influencer. Are they living by the Spirit? Are they inspiring you to do the same? Are they a Naomi who compelled her daughter-in-law to give up everything and follow her God? Or are they more like a Samson who takes God's glory for himself and causes enemies to praise their own gods? Make a more conscientious effort to be in the company of those who will help you grow so that you can do the same for others in your charge somewhere down the line. Let's pray. God, we know you can do anything with any kind of vessel, even broken, corrupt, and flawed ones like Samson might have been. Because of your omnipotence, you are still able to use a judge like Samson despite his flagrant lapses in, ironically, judgment. But we know there is more to be learned from the things he didn't do than the things he did. So help us, God, to be humble and recognize that you are the source of our strength. Give us courage to hold accountable those who manipulate your word for their own agenda and fill us with your spirit and work in us to be agents of change and forces for good wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.